This is Coda Radio, episode 550 for like Christmas? Hey friends, and welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show. Taking a pragmatic look at the art and the software and probably some business and all of the technology. It's the holidays and we're here and we're doing a pod and feeling very jolly. It's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, hi. Hey, I want to know if you've uh, been doing this uh, advent calendar code thing that uh, I see people going on in the chat room about. I know you've been doing it some years, but... I didn't do it this year. This year, things were too hectic. I've been doing actual work, so... I thought so. Yeah, but no, more power to people who do it. It's it's kind of fun. It's like, a, for the, it's literally an advent calendar, right? So it's a different challenge for the 25 days of Christmas. Would you ever go back and do it after? You wouldn't, would you, right? Because once the moment I never passed, go back. No, yeah. right. Right. I was just looking, and they, they generally are available after the holidays, and uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. I see there's a couple in here you'd really like, you know, Advent of JavaScript. Hey, how about that? Oh, no. Yeah, that seems really good. There's several Advent of... There's, of course, a, a Python Advent calendar, a C-sharp Advent calendar, of course. I don't see it in here, but I bet if we asked Wes, he could link us to a closure Advent calendar as well. <laughs> I bet you that exists. You know what else exists for just a limited time? The robe. It's back. Oh, yes. Everybody needs a robe. Yep. I think there's, as we record, there's 16 left. With the $10 promo code, if you use the promo code SWIFT, it'll take 10 bucks off. It's expensive and the shipping's bad, but <laughs> it's a good product and it's very limited. It's very limited. And with the adpocalypse coming around the corner, it may be extremely limited. So you never know. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. You can go to jupitergarage.com if you want to pick yourself up a very comfortable coda robe. You can use it during the winter. Uh, you could use it during the summer. Just all you have to do is layer. And in the summer, it's the only layer. It's pretty great. JupiterGarage.com. How do you like that? I, I, I like our pitch. It's expensive and the shipping is bad. <laughs> I know. Product is good. Shipping's bad. Everything else is good. Yeah. Shipping is bad. I'm not even going to lie. It's probably not even the best the best buying experience either. I mean, it's not bad, but it's <laughs> fun <laughs> well, being honest. It's not great. Uh, John from Matrix linked us to a discussion that's actually by another listener of ours. That's This has really provoked an ongoing conversation, and that is, should Chris switch to Brave? And I have had some some white knights come in and try to save me from the big bad Brave browser. Should you? I don't know. So what, is, what, is, what is the value prop of Brave, really? Well, they supposedly, it's supposed to be privacy, kind of built-in ad blocker. It's got a crap coin you can play around with. But then people keep bringing up to my attention that uh, supposedly there was some data sharing with Microsoft and that maybe there was even some censoring of search results or manipulation of results on Microsoft's request. I'm not really sure. I don't really care. But, um, you know, essentially you have some people telling you, well, it seems to be the better browser. It doesn't have these problems. It has built-in ad blocking. Other people come up and say it's got privacy issues. It's got this crap crypto coin that it plays around with. And it allegedly leaks fingerprints and, you know, collaborates with Microsoft. But it's quite the controversy, it seems. Yeah, it's weird to me how, how like, spicy this Chris's browser issues topic has become. <laughs> I, I, I legitimately did not expect that. So It's still awful, too. Because it actually has gotten worse. So 
A quick recap for those that haven't been following the browser drama. I seem to have problems with each major browser. Firefox randomly crashes when I interact with it. Edge seems to be losing its state constantly, so I can I can use Microsoft's Edge browser for a couple of days. Next day I launch it, maybe something didn't didn't unlock like my keychain in time, and the browser doesn't know who I am, does isn't logged in anything, and I spend, you know, the first half of my morning relogging anything. On Chrome, I was having an issue with text rendering in Chrome. That thankfully seems to be resolved with the most recent update, but with that update, now all of my extensions menus. So, you know, like maybe a Bitwarden drop down or or whatever it might be, a chat GPT summer, whatever that drops down in the browser from the browser menu, those are all cut off now, real narrow. Like you can't see anything in there. So I can't use any extensions on Chrome. And it's just kind of I'm going around and now none of, none of my Chromium browsers, Edge and Chrome, neither one of them can use my camera or my microphone. So I can't do any video calls with a Chromium based browser on my desktop now. Only Firefox. But the problem with Firefox is if I interact with it, it crashes, which isn't a great look during sales calls. It's just not the optimal experience. No. It's it's so embarrassing to be honest with you. I had a sales call coming up and I was this was last week and I was thinking, do I do it on the MacBook? You know, the problem is is right I've got the camera set up and I've got everything all positioned. I got my microphone, my you know, my good audio for standard calls. And it's like do I just not do I just bail on all of that? And just use the MacBook for this call. But then I look, my video and my audio looks very amateur, but, you know, I don't drop off the call. (laughs) I decided to YOLO it and use Firefox and just not touch it. And it held up. But it feels pretty silly to be basically, you know, on the precipice of 2024. And these are the problems I'm dealing with. Just what it is. Scale 21X is coming up on March 14th through the 17th. We're going to try to be there with uh, bells on. And also NixCon will be running... In parallel to that, the first NixCon North America. And I just want to also make everybody aware that I'm also going to try to be at Texas Linux Fest, which is April 12th through the 13th. And they've just extended their call for papers deadline. So if you're listening to this as it's recently published, they're extending it until the end of December. So basically December 30th. And then uh, last but absolutely not least, also coming up in the first half of the year, Linux Fest Northwest 2024, April 26th through the 28th. In my backyard, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of things coming up. I won't go on and on about them all the time, but I wanted to give you enough heads up now so you could start planning. And then as they get closer, we'll start talking about them a little bit more. I'm going to try to make it to all of them this year. Oh, man, that's, that is that is ambitious. It is. It is. It's going to be very expensive and a lot of time. And Texas Linux Fest and... Linux Fest Northwest are very close together. <laughs> you know how right. that is? Like you get one and you just want to like crash, right? But now you're going to be picking right up and going to the next one. Oh, man. Maybe I should start like a nice Coke habit or something. You know, just just for the spring. Just for just for conference season. You'll, you'll, you'll quit after Easter. It'll be fine. Alderon.games slash Coder. Alderon, they're looking to hire some talented remote workers, and there's a good chance you fit that description. You know, I was chatting with Matt, the lead over there at Alderon Games, and I got in his head, figured out what he's going for. He's looking for great people that they can work remotely with for a game company that's like no other. They are their own self-publishing game studio, totally in the spirit of how JB does things. No studio above them, no publisher below them they have to answer to. So they don't have to nickel and dime the players. They get to focus on the content. And Matt's trying to build a team 
that can really create some impressive stuff. And that means not just game developers, but it means back-end developers. It means QA testers. All the above, really. So go to alderon.games slash coder. That'll get your foot in the door, kind of get an idea of what they have available, even if they don't quite have your job listed there. Why not contact them over there? Maybe there is something you could do for them, maybe some Linux backend work, maybe you're a PHP whiz. Contact them. Just brush up your resume, maybe your GitHub too, and go to alderon.games slash coder. That's the way to let them know you heard about it here, and you're probably, you know, the cream of the crop as all Coder Radio listeners are. So check it out. They're looking to hire, and you could get a great remote gig at alderon.games slash coder. Well, since this is one of our last episodes of the year, I thought maybe we'd chat a little bit about how our work has changed over the year and our workflow changes. We're going to dive deep into some unreal stuff in the next episode that Mr. Dominic has been flopping around in like a pig in the slop. But uh, going from more high level for this episode, um, I thought maybe we'd just chat, and I got a couple things I want to throw your way that I've kind of become a bigger believer in this year, and see if you think I'm just full of crap, or if maybe I'm onto something. So I'll prepare yourself for I'll be I'll be I guess subject to your judgment. No, oh, no. I think the biggest thing for me, just from a real practical standpoint, this year is we parked Linux Action News because the ad market started to collapse, and Linux Action News is very time intensive to produce. Um, and also requires editing and post-production, so it requires an editor and all of that. And um, it had its own dedicated editor at that, so it meant that if we paused Linux Action News, I'd get about a day and a half, two days back a week, and we would have one less editor, which wasn't a great... I don't like having a single editor, but mm. thankfully Drew has like the shoulders of probably Hercules and maybe He-Man put together. Like Maybe he was... He-Man and Hercules's dad. And so he can hold a lot, a, a large weight, but you know, you don't want to overload a person. So it sort of, when you have an opportunity to kind of shut down something like that, that's like a notable savings, especially since there was no sponsor for it. Right. We took that move and it meant, you know, now I get about a day and a half off a week. That was nice because it, it gave me more spacing between the shows too. And I don't know if I'm getting old and I don't have the stamina that I used to have, or maybe I'm just more aware of like, you know, you need more time to do these shows right. You need to have energy. I don't know what what's shifted, but I started really kind of burning out and just taking one show out of that rotation kind of just gave me a little bit more buffer, you know, closer to that work-life balance. And then we moved office hours to bounty only. So it's on a slower production. And then, you know, operating a little leaner, living a little leaner. It meant that we had to spin down a couple of sugar daddy projects. Like we haven't been producing any of the extras. So there's been no brunch with Brent or anything like that. But it's because a lot of that stuff we just paid for out of pocket from from revenue. There's no, you know, there's no pocket to pay out of. So the show has to pay for itself. But it meant that this is the part that I want your your take on. As I was sorting all this out and figuring out where do we cut? What do we keep? What can we afford to maybe like lose a little bit on for a bit? while maybe members pick up the slack or something like that. It really meant measuring the right things. And mm. I realized like the things that we we kind of took a couple of ideas and theories and things to measure from what we learned at Linux Academy and the cloud guru and just kept them rolling. And what I realized is the world had shifted and we weren't really getting the signal we needed. And I want to play a clip. This is a super buff Jeff Bezos, 
He was on Lex Friedman's most recent podcast as we recorded, so maybe a couple episodes ago. And you might want to go watch this on YouTube because, holy crap. The man is jacked. You'll hear it just in his voice. Yeah. His voice sounds swole, uh, especially if you're familiar with, after listening to this episode of Coda Radio, you should go listen to like Bezos from the 90s. It's a, it's a totally different it's person. totally different dude, yeah. However, his observation in this clip, this is about a two-minute clip, completely lines up with what my observation was this year. So you tell me what you think. Um, one of the things that happens in business, probably anything that you're, where you're, you know, you have an ongoing program and something is is underway for a number of years, is you develop certain things that you're managing to. Like, let's say, the typical case would be a metric. And that metric isn't the real underlying thing. And so, uh, you know, maybe the metric is... Um, efficiency metric around customer contacts per unit sold or something like if you sell a million units how many customer contacts do you get or how many returns do you get and so on and so on and so what happens is a little bit of a kind of inertia sets in where somebody a long time ago invented that metric and they invented that metric they decided we need to watch for you know customer returns per unit sold as an important metric. But they had a reason why they chose that metric, the person who invented that metric and decided it was worth watching. And then fast forward five years, that metric is the proxy. Mm-hmm. The proxy the real for thing, truth, I the guess. The proxy for truth, the proxy for customer. let's say in this case, it's a proxy for customer happiness. Yeah. And But that metric is not actually customer happiness. It's a proxy for customer happiness. The person who invented the metric understood that connection. Five years later, it, a kind of inertia can set in, and you forget the truth behind why you were watching that metric in the first place. And the world shifts a little. Yeah. And now that proxy isn't as valuable as it used to be, or it's missing something. And you have to be on alert for that. You have to know, okay, this is, I don't really care about this metric. I care about customer happiness. And this metric is worth putting energy into and following and improving and scrutinizing only in so much as it actually affects customer happiness. And so you've got to constantly be on guard. And it's very, very common. This is a nuanced problem. It's very common, especially in large companies that they are managing to metrics that they don't really understand. They don't really know why they exist. And the world may have shifted out from under them a little. And the metrics are no longer as relevant as they were when somebody 10 years earlier invented the metric. I mean, he shifts the analogy in there a little bit. But I think the core idea that resonated with me is maybe the person that creates that metric that they put on a dashboard or whatever it is that they're going to monitor they understand what it's a proxy for. But then at some point that association gets lost, like as it enters the group mind or that person moves on or whatever it is, that association. And, we, and then all it is is we talk about the metric. The conversation is always about the metric and the results of the metric. Did we hit the metric? How far below are we from what we decided the core target metric was? Right. And it, it, it just, I think it can be slow death, even for a small company, because it's easy in fact, it's simpler to just kind of develop, well, these are the things that I'm going to watch as a business. And as long as these numbers are okay, 
we're doing fine. But that doesn't actually reveal what's coming down the road, like which has happened to our friends at Twit, where they've just been completely blindsided and had to lay off three of some of their absolute best staff. Right. And Leo says there are a million, over a million in the hole for next year. And he just doesn't understand what happened. Yeah, it's funny, right? Because it can, it reminds me, and it's weird that I make this analogy when listening to the swallow CEO in the Valley, but it reminds me of World of Warcraft, right? Like the way that they kept people playing for a long time was just to give you more little colored bars to fill. And in the beginning, like it made sense, right? You got to level up to do dungeons or raids or. Some of them are like you level up to get like a new mount or gear with like a certain faction. But then at some point it just becomes you're filling the bar because you're like the crack addicted mouse just hitting the button over and over and over again. And you're just filling the bar to fill the bar just like you're just hitting the metric to hit the metric. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you have a metric that has led you astray in the past? Um, I th- Well, you know, so with the reduction in ad revenue, we've we've focused more on memberships and, mm-hmm. d- you know, direct boosts. And I think there's an analogy here for software development, too. That's a totally different metric. To, there's a totally different set of metrics there to monitor. Like, my, for example, office hours. Office hours is our lowest downloaded show on the network by, you know, a mile. And um, it's now at the point where during, you know, when ads are doing good, sponsors would buy that. But now nobody wants to touch it. It's got no marketing angle. It's not really meant for right. like a great demo. It's really just a show that's built for the Jupiter Broadcasting audience. So it's a you know it's a sort of self-referential show, and um, it just economically in an advertising-based business made no sense. And so the metrics were telling me we have to end the show, especially with costs you know being high as inflation's gone up and then revenue going down at the same time. So it's like a double whammy. Yeah, that make that makes sense to me. I mean. It's, you know, it's weird because on the software side, I've seen all kinds of crazy managers implement crazy metrics. Uh, I think I've told the story before, like years ago, there was this dude who was like really interested in the number of just raw commits and get. Uh-huh, yeah. Now, what the problem with that is, you know, the developer. Well, now I know how hard people are working. Right, well, the developers get wise, though, yeah, right? Like each, each file is its own commit. They're the you first know, group and- to figure this kind of stuff out. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay. And then, like, remember, uh, and this is going back even before my time, but K-Lox, like, thousand line of code blocks, that was, like, a metric yeah, that all yep, the, yeah. the consulting gurus were saying, oh, well, you got to see how much K-Lox can your team put out. And it's like, well, actually, if we do the same feature in less... And this is something that uh, Balmer himself bitched about in uh, Robert Cringley's documentary. He's like, we wrote a faster version of what IBM wanted, and they wanted to pay us less because it was less lines of code. Which, like... You got to give it to Bomber on that one. He, like for whatever you think of him, right? Because he can be a buffoon sometimes. He gets it. He gets that like less code is generally better. But the folks over the suits at IBM are like, no, we we pay you by the line. Like you make yep. less money, yep. even though you exceeded our specs. And and it wasn't like that they asked for more money. It was they were supposed to be paid a certain amount of money. Uh, they got it done faster for less code. And IBM was like, well, that's great. So we're going to discount it by like twenty percent or whatever because it's twenty percent less code. Which is just like an asinine way to look at things. But, you know, I have a metric that uh, a couple years ago used to really screw me up on the biz dev side. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Uh, I share this metric issue with a a former president and a guy who launches rockets and builds electric cars. Twitter engagement. I always felt that Twitter engagement would lead to more lead generation. Okay. And it never did. 
Mm, okay. Ever. Okay. There is no, at least for, for my usage, absolutely no correlation between engagement and like developing the business. Further, the top, because I, I had like, I, I forgot the name of the product, but I had like a, a whole system set up. And I was like, the most engaging tweets were always like the stupid ones you shouldn't send at like two in the morning to Kara Swisher, right? Because you were annoyed at like that, you know, I think, I think my most well-performing tweet ever was the one where I was like, it's a little weird that, you know, Recode, because Recode was its own thing at the time, uh, doesn't like take a harder look at Theranos. Now, the fact that I ended up being right didn't help. Right, because that just got blasted for like, oh, you just don't like it because, you know, insert slander here. Followed closely by a bunch of memes I had made of Star Trek characters and coding jokes. <laughs> so, no value, right? Yeah. Like, just no value. You very, and you rarely see companies revisit these metrics. Right. I think, the so, I think your social one is a fantastic example. Uh, I've been involved in multiple companies, multiple groups. I've been in the Zoom calls, and there'll always be a conversation around the social stuff. And I've never, ever, ever, ever heard anyone ask what's the value of it. I've never heard that. Which is insane, right? Because if you like get a booth at a trade show or even just attend a trade show, you're like, okay, I, if you get a booth, forget it. You're talking like ten, you know, like $10,000. But let's just say you just attend. Okay, I spent, you know, $800 on flights, uh, you know, 1000 for, you know, hotel plus tickets, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this, these are pretty low numbers. I'm probably sandbagging myself here. Okay, well, what kind of contacts did I make for either partnership opportunities or actual just, you know, sales, right? Actual leads. And then you just like wait six months or whatever you think your sales cycle is and say, did, uh, you know, did insert show here make sense for me? And I can tell you that that is a pretty easy calculation to do if you ignore the whole did I have fun at the trade show thing, right? Yeah, it, it, it's just something people don't do with social media. But if you think about it, like you got to like think about the cost of your time. Sure. Now, now it's a little easier, right? Because you could use like Dolly or ChatGPT to generate uh, your your memes. Although I tried to make it generate a swole Bezos, and it wouldn't do it. So that's interesting. Huh. I guess you can't you can't use names of public figures. It said. Oh yeah, sure, of course. A lot of these companies have like representatives or social media managers that they're paying on staff to do this kind of thing and it, it just gets it's expensive right it just starts to snowball into oh but look my my follower account went up or look at how how you know how juicy and thick my notifications are in my twitter app when it's like okay but you know uh i don't even know like think of a shitty twitter username right you know yuji naka's best friend 472 yuji naka's the sega game designer who i think went to jail did he become a customer or is that just some guy who thought it was funny that you posted a picture <laughs> of Darth Maul with an objective C joke? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the problem is, is that if you were to sit down with somebody who's a quote unquote business expert, they'd absolutely tell you, you need to have a social media presence. You need to have your brand out there, be part of the conversation and be engaging. They would have absolutely told me, you know, you, you gotta, well, we did, we, we looked at, we reviewed it. We, and we, we shut down office hours because we just couldn't make it viable going by the metrics. And then kind of in the middle of the night, we had the idea, well, what if we, what if we could switch it to a bounty system? And since we shut down office hours and our metric is now the boost, we've produced six releases, either pocket or full episodes of office hours that have just been completely financed by the boost. Even though the show only gets four or 5,000 downloads, in, in in that situation, if it were you know a situation where the boost could be large enough where they could replace sponsors, 
then you're all of a sudden you're, you're, you're measuring a new set of metrics, and that's a different kind of engagement you're measuring and not so much the downloads, which also means smaller independent podcasts can be more viable. I also think it means smaller independent software projects could be more viable because if we're looking at something like Office Hours, just to talk numbers here for a second, if we're looking at something like Office Hours, it gets somewhere between two and 5,000 downloads, which is not monetizationable by traditional standards. It needs to usually be around 10,000 or more. And we're able to produce somewhere around four five hundred dollars per episode. Well, that's it's, it covers our cost barely. We don't make any profit on there, but that covers the cost. And that's a tiny show. Now, is it unreasonable the software project could have two to five thousand users? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and I think there is something about it. It's just different metrics to measure. And there isn't some business expert or somebody who's been doing this for a long time that's going to advise you how to do it. Because I think we're entering into an era of the old school way of thinking about things and measuring things just doesn't work. I think the territory for the last two years has been shifting underneath us. And I think it's going to shift considerably in 2024. I'm not sure which direction, but I think it's going to be shifting a lot. And I think a lot of the old school thinking and way of measuring things is just not going to work. And I think we're already seeing the results of it already. But I just my my thought is not we're not going back to normal. We're not going back to the way, to the place where those things worked and everybody was making enough money where it didn't really matter if they didn't. I think those times are over. So I think you really have to be careful how you measure what your metrics are and then validate them. And, and not to be cliche about it, but like ask yourself what the hell you're actually measuring. And the bigger you are as a group, probably the further away you are from the real thing. Right. It's even more of a challenge, but like that's your burden. You've got to solve that or you're going to die long term. <laughs> Tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over right now. Stop what you're doing. I don't know if you're having Christmas dinner. Maybe you're just avoiding everybody because you don't participate in the holidays and you're enjoying yourself some movie time. I, I don't know. Stop it right now and go to Tailscale.com slash coder. Why? It's the best darn thing you ever did. It is a zero config VPN. You can get up and running in minutes. The beautiful thing about Tailscale is it solves a problem the internet never quite got right. That is, how do you directly connect two machines to each other, regardless of their location, regardless of their network topology, even I'm talking like carrier grade, double NAT, and stuff like that. How do you get two machines to talk directly to each other? And once you've done that, what kind of amazing things can you unlock? Well, a VPN that's protected by WireGuard, yep, that's one of them, super high performance, and it's changed my networking game. I now have a flat mesh LAN. It exists across VPS hosts. It exists across LANs and across mobile devices, family, friends, my own devices, coworkers, all built on top of WireGuard. But once you have that initial connection, you can do all kinds of great things. You can send files using Tailscale Send. Tailscale SSH lets you log in using your Tailscale credentials. And those of you in enterprise, do not feel left out. Tailscale will integrate with your authentication infrastructure so you can apply group-level permissions to do ACLs and controls. You'll get two-factor authentication. Your existing authentication backend can be used, which means you can rip out those old proprietary VPN boxes. You don't have to have like a full-time VPN person anymore that is always the person that answers the VPN tickets. That's gone. Tailscale is so much smoother. It's such a revolution in the way you can connect your machines. You'll quickly and easily create a secure network between your servers, computers, cloud instances, and mobile devices. And you can do it for up to 100 devices for free while you're supporting the show. While you go to tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder.
Well, well, well. Go figure, just as we wrap up our pre-record for the holidays, a big announcement, like literally just as we wrap it up, a big announcement that Epic won its battle against Google. I got, yes, another clip for you, just so that way we can, you know, this was as we record a little bit ago, that way we're all up on the deets. And then we'll come back and kind of discuss what this means. Good morning. So for years, the tech giants, they have argued that their app store rules and restrictions, they exist simply to benefit customers. This ruling chips away at that argument and challenges the idea of Google and Apple as gatekeepers. Epic CEO Tim Sweeney, he posted victory over Google free Fortnite. And the ruling quickly became a sort of rallying cry for others interested in cracking this duopoly. And Neil Dash, CEO of Glitch, writing on threads, the app stores are cracking open. We're about to see the biggest reshuffling of power on the internet in 20 years. Meanwhile, the American Liberty, American Economic Liberties Project posting, the ruling's a big deal. The jury was readily able to call a spade a spade. And then there was Luther Lowe. He is a longtime critic of Google with Yelp and now leading public policy for Y Combinator. He posted both major Google antitrust cases this year put as much spotlight on Apple's bad behavior as they did Google. Apple, he says, is next over the barrel. I don't know how much Apple's going to be over the barrel or how much Google's really going to be hurting over this, but um, it still feels like a monumental decision to me. What is your reaction now that we've had a couple of days to cook on it? So, okay, this is where we get some feedback. I think Epic, you know, is probably going to lose on appeal. Ooh, okay, all right, here we go. Can I ask you why you feel this way? Well, because as shady as Google's, like, apparently standard operating procedure of deleting all their chat logs. Apparently, but not enough. They didn't but not, delete enough. I, they didn't delete enough. <laughs> they forgot to put the star in that RM tech R. Yeah. And, like, some of the, like, just bluntness of the emails that were uncovered. It doesn't change the basic fact of this is how business deals are done, Right. In the past, especially. I mean, is it obnoxious that Google likes to go out and say, we treat our developers fairly, and they obviously don't? Yeah, but Walmart probably goes out and says something similar about the you know, businesses they distribute products for. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, But yeah. doesn't every storefront you know, do something similar to this? I right? guess really egg on, us, egg on our faces for actually ever buying a minute of it, potentially. Right, like, so, so if, taking this ruling, and like I've, listen to the analysis by lawyers there's quite a few like kind of respectful legal commentators who are like this is a weird ruling and part of it is because this was a jury trial do you trust 12 random people in your district i don't i if i was google i would have wanted a bench trial because like you know juries are like i i don't i don't mean to like slag off the jury here but i could see that like google sounding like a big dick kind of influences 12 regular people more than it might influence a judge who's like, but, oh well, right? I don't know. I, I feel like there's not a whole lot to say about this because it seems to me that Google basically lost because they had a bunch of embarrassing emails. They somehow failed to get a bench trial, which... I heard on a different show that it might have been a mistake, like they just forgot to file the form or something. 
So think about this, right? The idea that like Walmart can't sell their great value brand next to, you know, Barella pasta and favor great value is stupid. So like Google can favor Spotify. Well, because Spotify has leverage. Spotify, if you're not on iOS, is the number one music app in the damn world. I mean, you could argue it shouldn't be this way. Yeah, but then we have to go back and like you have to write like a new law. Well, and you're 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 also dealing with what how it should be versus how it actually is. Right. I mean, I I got to be honest with you, like, like, okay, so, so like tying the things to the Google libraries and Google payments. Well, we have years of footage or of audio of you and I bemoaning Google's lack of strong arming of the OEMs. I want to, if anything, I wanted like more damning emails to come out. Like, I I wanted to see one where they like brought Samsung to heel, right? I don't know. I, I'm thinking, like, of course, I like I True. I was a big Motorola fan. I thought like Google just give up on OEMs to Apple style because... I remember doing Android development. It was rough. It was rough. It was rough. It, it's still not great. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I None of this seems like heinous to me. You know, I mean, Google used to call say, don't be evil all the time. And spoiler alert, they're all evil. Yeah. Right? yeah. So why, why did Epic win its case against Googs and not Apple? Well, of course, uh, they had a lot more smoking guns against Google in terms of documentation. Also, um, you know, Apple has been arrogantly, stubbornly consistent. And Apple, the documents that did leak, essentially were just reflections of outward statements. And whereas Google, you know, had secret private deals and said separately, otherwise separately, um, publicly. Well, but you can see in some of the emails here, right, a lot of the secret private deal crap was originally... I mean, there was always the, we need our 30% revenue, holy crap. And that's like, but that's on Apple too. But a lot of it was trying to rein the damn OEMs in to actually use, uh, I mean, how many hours have we spent talking about Google Play services when it was new? And how, I mean, I would come on here and just like for what, two, three years recommend people don't use whatever stupid like built-in API in your app, use the Play services libraries because they at least get updated independently from the android os version and that's one of the things that google had to strong arm the oems into taking was those libraries which uh, you know i think it's hard to argue that play services didn't make the android ecosystem more secure uh, frankly better and make third-party developers able to provide more consistent uh, app experiences yeah so i and like okay so sure spotify basically played a hard role on them and sort of the video game companies well I, I, I mean, that's what they all do. Have you heard? Like, Bobby Kotick was a person, or is alive still, but he's just gone. But, like, he is a person, right, that made his whole career playing hard roles. Good old beautiful chest hair Craig Federici. His emails are pretty damn bare-knuckled, too. These guys who, like, they want to, like, at Apple, they want to seem like they're, like, a throwback to 60s counterculture or, like, woke values or whatever. Or Google's like, we're like, just fun nerds. They're bare knuckle boxing, hard nosed businessmen. They they're not like doing a charity here, and it it just on its face. I I just okay. Let's let's say we own Mike and Chris's Deli. Oh, delicious! And we want to sell lemonade because I love lemonade. Country Time Lemonade and Minute Maid Lemonade comes to us. Country Time says, "Here's the deal: we're the same price as Minute Maid, but we only want we're gonna we're the same retail price. And you have to keep our retail price, right?" But we're only going to charge you $2 for a case where the other guys are charging you the full three. 
I, you and I would both put that country time lemonade right in there because that's just how business is done. Yep. Right? Even if a condition of the deal is you can't carry any minute Put the logo products. on the door. Put the logo, put the logo on, the on the door. Happy. I, to me, it's just like, I don't know. This isn't like a, a more like horrible thing would be like Google intentionally, you know, putting stuff in the OS to screw with Fortnite, right? To like break it or something. That would be like, okay, that's bad. That should be stopped. And the deleting of chat messages, I mean. Which Apple yeah. did more of. Which is another reason why they didn't, uh, I think, lose their case, which is, uh, mm, what does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, th- th- there's there is a lot, I think, that Google's lawyers are going to appeal here. Now, my sympathies yeah. are totally with Epic. I just... Yeah, right. I mean, I to me, the, the Apple case is actually the more heinous. This is, this is what I like about all these cases, though, is I'm not ever really clear on what the outcome is going to be. And even once you have an outcome, it's not really clear what the impact will actually be and how it gets implemented and, you know, what little loopholes actually exist. Like, we don't really ever know until it's been years. But what we do get, and we get it immediately, at least on the the scale of things, is all of these leaks and details that always harken back to topics on the show. They come back up on the show again. And it's one of my favorite things like that we do because we have conversations about these things when they're happening and we cover them. And then years, years later, the court cases happen. And then like all these leaks always come out and they always make these companies look so bad that it's like, oh, right, we're cynical because we've been doing this for a while and we keep seeing this happen over and over again. But this is not a new thing, right? Babbage's EB Games, Best Buy, uh, GameStop and – uh. Uh, what was it? Uh, software, etc. Used to do those are all basically uh, PC game retailers from the nineties. All did the same damn thing. Whichever game publishers gave them the best uh, spiff or kickback, they would feature their products, and they went for productivity software too. So again, not new. Sorry, <laughs> but like it's just not new. Right? I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll see if Google does appeal and what their argument's going to be. I'll keep an eye on. If anything interesting does develop. As the year goes on next year, we'll cover it. Um, shout out to, I think it was Team Linux in our Matrix chat. The FX Pack Pro was what I was trying to refer to. This is actually a little nicer than mine. This is this is a $224 one, but it has a couple of nice hardware upgrades that can really make the music sing in some of the games and whatnot. This is an inten- a Super Nintendo cartridge that you put an SD card in loaded up with ROMs, up to 200 gigs worth. And it's got a menu system and everything, and you can play full hardware with a regular Super Nintendo hooked up to a CRT display. You can have all your ROMs on this thing and play them on hardware with the original controller and everything. It's pretty neat. Honestly, they ought to be a sponsor. Although they're probably, I don't know if they're making much money. uh, Because now I know how hard it is to ship products, and this is a pretty sophisticated piece of hardware. And once Nintendo finds out about them. Yeah, well, maybe we shouldn't have said anything, but I wanted to follow up on it since I mentioned it in a recent episode. It's so cool. It is. It really is. Also, you know what else is cool? You know what else? Members. CoderQA.co if you'd like to support the show directly and help keep independent podcasting weird. I think this is a super important medium in general, podcasting. And, you know, we've been here doing this for a long time. And uh, we will take that responsibility seriously if you become a member at CoderQA.co. You get an ad-free version of the show. Truthfully, that might not be a big part <laughs> in the future. But you know what? You will get the coderlies when we can get when uh, two old men can uh, get the kids to uh, leave them alone. We can sit down in an, in an evening, 
and get a couple drinks in us and record a quarterly. Uh, we'll put one out for our members in the new year, I imagine. And you can get access to those and all the previous ones we've ever done. There's a bank of them now at coderqa.co. And you can support all the shows at jupiter.party if that's your bag. Might be. You can do gift memberships too. I don't know. Maybe maybe you send a link to somebody and say, hey, you want to get me something? Get me this. That could be a thing. Mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. Somebody might do it. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you. But what you can boost for your podcast. Rotted Mood supported the podcast as our baller booster with 50,000 sats. No message, just the support. And we support it, Mr. Mood. Or we we support your support. Something like that and appreciate it, too. Mick Zip, though, coming in right there. Also in the baller section with 25,000 sats. Mr. ZP writes, love me some Sonic and Knuckles. So this is my Genesis is 30 years old. Whoa, whoa. At this point, my Genesis, he says, is 30 years old and it still works. He has it hooked up to channel three. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, channel three. Yeah. Yeah. You get, well, you got nothing else on there, right? That's great. Thank you, Mr. ZP. We appreciate it. VT25 comes in with a row of ducks. Oh, look at him go. Using the pot verse. He says... I, I got to take on the whole beeper thing. You're right, of course, that iMessage is Apple's platform to do with as they wish. Well, I don't find their actions the least bit surprising. I do think it's pretty ironic that they're now in the position of having to protect their dominance against scrappy startups looking for an interop play. Sort of like Apple's iWork supporting MS Office files back in the day. You know what I'll add? Also, when uh, iMessage or whatever it was called on the Mac first launched... In order to gain popularity, they also supported the AOL Instant Messenger Protocol and I think XMPP as well. So what do you think? He's right in a way, right? VT is here. Apple has been in the underdog position before where they have tried to, through their own innovation, build in some sort of compatibility so that way they could play in the market as well. Yeah, but, you know, again, they're not going to do that. There is that. Also, it feels maybe a little bit different in this case because it's not like iMessage is an operating system or something that's, you know, iMessage is a component of Apple services and Beeper doesn't need to be in that business. So it's not like, you know, it's not like Beeper is like this up and coming computer company that's trying to fight a monopoly with a desktop and office monopoly. It's more like there's two giant monopolies out there already, Google and Apple, and they already have their own messaging monopolies. And then there's like, all the rest, all the leftovers go to the WhatsApp and the signals and the telegrams and beepers coming in and being like, well, we also want to make revenue doing this. So what can we do to differentiate? And they identified this. I don't know if I equate that, though, to the same struggle. It's because it's it's like a services thing, not I don't know. I am kind of open to the idea. I just think I have to think about it more. Yeah, I mean, beeper recognize the hole in the market, right? And they're taking advantage. Who knows what's going to happen with Apple now going to RCS and just the, you know, uh, Nazgul level lawyers they have over there seems like this is a you know I was listening to The Verge and uh, Neil Patel was saying he doesn't think that Apple necessarily wants to crush Beeper with their you know Sith army of lawyers Uh, that is a very charitable view I'm going to go with they definitely will (laughs) okay all right Ryan comes in to confirm that I did get his location right this is the way He's uh, wow. he's down there in uh, is in down there in Brisbane. I am programmed in multiple techniques. And uh, he says also here's another uh, one two three four five sats just because. So the combination is one two three four five. 
That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. <laughs> Panic Ketchup comes in with 19,000 sats. Uh, by the way, thank you, Ryan. Uh, and he says, uh, go podcasting. That's it. Just a, just a go podcast team. Go, you go gadget it. podcast. Jin from Antique comes in with 6,000 sats. He says, hi, Chris and Mike. I heard about your woes with browsers. I've been using Firefox and it happened to me and I lost all my tabs. To fix this, I installed Tab Session Manager. When I was listening to Brave Recommendations on the show, I was screaming, no. Here, please read my following post on Stacker News. Brave has lost all credibility many times over. Its marketing is pure lies. If I'm wrong, let me know. I'm open to critics. Uh, he says, some years ago after the developers left Opera and started Vivaldi, I switched to that. I heard they were not able to improve it enough, and so the doers, so I guess someone involved, started a new browser with the same spirit of innovation Opera brought more than two decades ago. I love Vivaldi. It has many great features. I hope you'll give it a try. All right. I have been getting a lot of recommendations for Vivaldi. I think my concern there is... All my Chromium-based browsers seem to basically be suffering from the same issues. Perhaps I'll unwrap a Vivaldi present under the Christmas tree this year and give it a shot. Thank you, Jen. I did read your post, and I put a link to it in the show notes, too. <sighs> Sometimes I just kind of miss Safari. I don't like Safari a lot, but when I do use it, I'm like, man, this is a clean, lean, mean browser. It really is. It is. And, th and then I use it for a few minutes, and I'm like, and I also would like some extensions and... It just is too limited for me. I'm, See, you just have to let go. Let Surrender your will to the eye collective. I will also load Tab Session Manager. It doesn't really solve the crashing, but at least makes the recovery better. Thank you, everybody, who supports each production. Really appreciate it. This is a really important metric to us these days. We had six total unique boosters across eight boosts, and we stacked 119,073 sats. If you'd like to boost in, please do. Our next episode will be a pre-record, so they won't be featured in that episode. Um, but we'll be right back in the New Year's, and of course, we'll be getting to all those boosts. You can do it in a couple of ways. There's some really great new podcast apps out there at podcastapps.com. Fountain 1.0 is just around the corner, and it is a barn burner. Podverse goes from strength to strength, and it's GPL and cross-platform. And it's also on the web, which is really nice. There's a whole bunch of apps, though. More all the time at podcastapps.com. But if you're not interested in switching apps, one of the easiest ways is to use the Strike app or the Cash app. Strike's now available in 36 countries. I love the Cash app. I pay some utilities with the Cash I mean, I love the Cash app. Um, and you can just go to the Fountain FM website now and boost just by scanning the QR code, put a little message in their web form and send it into us, and you don't gotta, you don't gotta worry about Albi or podcast apps or nothing. If you got Strike or Cash, you can, you can scan a QR code. You can support the show with a message. And uh, you don't even have to hold the sats. It'll just Strike, for example... Just does it all in your local currency. The back end's over the Lightning Network, but you never have to really bother with it. It's pretty slick, actually. And it's a nice way to get your message in, too. We'll have links in the show notes. Uh, we also have uh, some special outro music this week, the Top Hats Orchestra, which we'll be sending a nice boost to. And uh, you can as well. We'll put a link to LN Beats. Some great Christmas music that's just a little bit spicier and different. We'll have that in the show notes. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the good people before we get out of here? Uh, go to alice.dev for all your, you know, data manipulation needs. You know, I got to say, looking back at the year, you were way ahead with <laughs> with this, all this stuff. I mean, I mean, what you're doing now is like what everybody's trying to do through ChatGPT and all of that, right? Like it's, it's quite, it's, you know, you got to pat yourself on the back there. You really, you called that one. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. 
now here we are. Now, if people just need uh, people want to, you know, people want the product from the OG, the man who's thinking five steps ahead. Alice.dev is where they got to go. You can find uh, the show on uh, Weapon X, Coda Radio Show. Uh, probably the benefit there, you know, you find out about releases. You can follow me at Chris LAS. I tweet when we go live. Links, lots of links to what we talked about at coder.show slash five, five, zero. Which, by the way, over there, you'll also find our subscribe RSS links to whichever you want and whatnots, including just the raw RSS feed. You'll also find our contact form. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you so much for joining, sharing the show if you do so. We hope you have a great holiday. Now, we won't have a live show next week. That's, of course, over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar when we do. But we will indeed have a release for you in the RSS feed. Mr. Dominic, happy holidays to you and the family. Happy holidays. Thank you, sir. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's Coda Radio. See you next week.